And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. Well, welcome again to the Michael Savage Podcast. We have a great interview with Colonel Douglas McGregor, always, always a favorite here amongst my audience. And we talk about uh, some of the largest threats to world stability that are happening right now. I want to preface this interview by stating that although I appreciate Colonel McGregor's insights, I do not necessarily agree with all of his opinions. My approach to interviews is to keep the conversation flowing. I choose to be congenial rather than hostile. So now let's listen to the conversation that I had with Colonel Douglas McGregor, a truly great man. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989-898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. How many men and women are your nation ready to send to defend another state, another, another nation? There is Colonel. Hey, how are you? Mine general, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I'm rolling with the punches, aren't you? With what's going on. Well, yeah. come on, blind pilots can't be that bad. Just think how good they feel. Yeah, I'm sure they'll feel great until they crash. But they won't even know it, though. They won't see it coming. <laughs> Crazy country. It's getting crazy every day, but I predicted it. Yeah, uh, you know, you've been predicting it for a long time. Colonel McGregor, we will not we will not delay. I'm looking at one of our previous podcasts from November, and it says Ukraine suffering staggering losses. Um, McGregor covers over 400,000 dead Ukrainians. Why Russians are able to hold their ground. Ukrainian soldiers are discouraged, affecting how Washington is scrambling to escape from this disaster. The U.S. lied and said weapons would only be used defensively. Uh, how Russia is retaliating by destroying weaponry. Why the U.S. is pushing cruise missiles. Amongst other topics that we talked about that day. <clears throat> so when I look at other sites like the New York Times, they talk about how many dead Russians there are with glee. Like a high body count is somehow good for the liberals all of a sudden. They love dead Russians. But they never report about the poor dead Ukrainians. I don't know. Do we really? You said that we could tell by aerial or or satellite shots of graveyards in Ukraine to get some real reading of it, Colonel. What is the sad truth on dead in this horrible, unnecessary war? Well, I'm I'm looking up something right now that'll answer that question for you. There was a <clears throat> a gentleman. Uh, uh, he's the procurator general, I think. Uh, I've just got to make sure I get it right here because his statements were so important that they deserve uh, attention. Uh, Yuri Lutsenko, former Ukrainian prosecutor general, Ah. appeared on Ukrainian television on 7 January saying that Ukraine had lost 500,000 dead in Washington's proxy war with Russia. He He said it. Yeah, he said it on, on 7 January on Ukrainian television. 
Did they kill him for it or? or? No, 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 no. He's out there saying that because they've lost 500,000 dead, they need to mobilize more men. Oh, God. Ukraine loses 30,000 people a month killed and seriously wounded in the war. Oh, my goodness. He further insisted that Ukrainian authorities should publish the real numbers of Ukrainian losses to show people the seriousness of the situation. Oh, boy. So there's your, there's your answer. And, uh, you know, a those, whole, a whole those, generation of Ukrainian men sacrificed to the gods of greed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no question. I would add criminality and greed. You know, I, I, I'm always shocked when I listen to people extol the virtues of Zelensky. I mean, this man has shut down churches. He's imprisoned priests. Uh, you know, now, uh, you know, he's going after people and, and shooting them that refuse to fight. Wait a minute. Isn't that the isn't that the ABD like that? Isn't that the democracy we're supporting? That's what we're paying for. Yeah, I guess so. That's what we want. I mean, it's a model for what Biden would like to do here. (laughs) Good God, Colonel McGregor, you are um, prescient. People love you when you're on my show and others for a number of reasons. Uh, You know, combat veteran. Not just you didn't just fire an an M an M four. You led a, a whole tank battalion in the in the largest tank battle in Iraq. You have a PhD, a real one, West Point, and you were appointed by President Trump as senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense, who disappeared for a week and didn't notify anybody. How is that possible? There was no chain of command. Well, I don't think there is. <clears throat> I mean, if, if, <laughs> if people haven't figured out that. You know, we're observing amateur hour in Washington, then they're missing the boat. I, I began calling Washington Fantasy Island because nobody there seems to have any idea what is really happening anywhere, let alone inside their own country. I mean, it's a sort of car- combination of arrogance and ignorance. But what yet they suddenly launched these mis- missiles, uh, uh, jets rather. I saw this beautiful squadron, a small squadron of attack helicopters flying off to attack the Houthi rebels. I said, who gave that order? Listen, the, the Houthis are now going to become uh, celebrated in the history of mankind <laughs> uh, for uh, challenging the great superpower. And, you know, in our haste to punish them and strike them and so forth, we've effectively turned the Red Sea into a war zone. Well, by by turning it into a war zone, we've stopped all the commercial traffic. <laughs> Nobody's going to use it. The insurance companies won't insure any of the ships. So I, I guess we've accomplished the Houthi objective. I, you know, there has there had to be a better way to do this. And the other thing is, I keep hearing about Iran. Oh, if you want to stop the Houthis, bomb Iran. The Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, and all the Shiite Arab militias in Iraq and even other Sunni Arabs in Iraq all have something in common. They're Arabs. They're well, going to do what they're doing because they are Arabs. It has nothing to do with Iran. Iran is trying to stay out of this mess, but we're making it impossible for them to do so. Well, all of the street protests here in America, and they are quite violent, including breaching the defense at the White House, stuff that I could never believe would have been permitted this is all orchestrated. This is not happening in the streets spontaneously, is it, in your opinion? No, I, I don't think it's uh, it's spontaneous at all. But, you know, I tell people they, they look at these things and they say, you know, what do you think? How could this happen in America? And I said, well, do you think this would have happened in 1990 or 91 when the decision was made to commit U.S. forces to Kuwait first in Saudi Arabia, then move through Kuwait and into Iraq? in order to dispose of the Republican Guard and so forth. They said, oh, well, no, that's impossible. I said, well, what's happened since 1991? Immigration. Well, you you hit the nail on the head. Now, you know, there's an upside to this, believe it or not, because this may constrain the United States and some of of its stupidity overseas. That's a a possibility. (laughs) Oh, no, come on. Now you're being too optimistic. (laughs) Yeah, But, but, you know. This is something you've been talking about forever. And so have everyone else. So is everyone else. But, you know, look, you're a racist. You're a bigot. You know, you're a criminal because you oppose the essentially unrestricted immigration and open borders. Right. We're no. all terrible. 
human being. We're all white supremacists, right? No, I'm a nationalist (laughs) and an immigrant son and a minority, and I love America. That is totally different than the designations that were assigned to anyone who opposes the destruction of America, which is the countdown to Mecca, as far as I am concerned. Colonel, war in Ukraine, war in Israel, conflict with the Houthi rebels off the coast of Yemen. Which conflict at the moment do you think is the greatest threat to set off truly a world war? I think what's happening in Israel with Gaza uh, and the fact that the Israelis are now turning somewhat away from Gaza, not because they've been successful, I mean, undoubtedly, uh, preventing uh, food, water, medicine, and so forth from reaching the population there will certainly kill. Some people say 500,000, 100,000, I don't know. But the bottom line is they have not destroyed Hamas. Uh, that is a failure. And doing what they did, and there were many retired Israeli generals who pointed out that they were taking the wrong approach and it wouldn't work, instead of recognizing the futility of this, they're now going to turn north towards Hezbollah. And I think that's the next step. And uh, the fact that we were willing to go in and pulverize the Houthis, I think, is a certainty that we will join the Israelis in attacking Hezbollah. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. But you, as you, you have cohorts in the IDF, and you're by no means an anti-Semite. I have to put that on the table. You've admired the IDF for years, work with them, probably advise them. God knows what else. If if after this massacre of October 7th had occurred and you were asked in America what you think the Israelis should do, what would you advise them to do? Uh, they were having a barbecue on the border with Gaza. A group of demented throwbacks didn't just invade, but slaughtered mercilessly babies and women and raped the women and burned the villages down. What would you have advised them to do? Well, the first thing I would have done is uh, convened a a discussion in isolation from the emotion. I mean, however horrific that was, Mm. you have to set your emotion aside. You have to raise the question, how do we respond? Now, Netanyahu and his cohorts and most of the Israeli population, frankly, wanted to see blood everywhere. In other words, we've had it. These people, quote unquote, are animals. They deserve the worst. You've got to sit there as the leader of a nation and say, well, that may be true in some respects, but what is the prudent approach here? What do we want to accomplish? What's the end state? Well, if you say the end state is the elimination of all the Arabs in Gaza and a, a flat open area that we can then take over and rebuild, that's not realistic because that assumes that the whole world will stand by and watch you uh, conduct a campaign of mass expulsion and killing. Uh, The whole world is watching and they don't like it. And there are a lot of people with a lot of capability now in the region, more than the Israelis have given them credit for. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's become very, very dangerous. So that was the first question. What's the attainable objective? And this is what some of the retired Israeli general officers have said. Secondly, if you, just obliterate this place, you bomb it, you're going to turn it into a wonderful defensive position for Hamas. The last thing you want to do if you're going to take urban areas is rubble them. We learned that during the Second World War. You rubble the place, then everybody comes to defend it. It's very easy. If you leave the buildings intact, you keep the streets clear, it becomes much tougher to defend. They didn't do that. They you didn't. mean they, they they did what was done in Stalingrad. The Germans bombed Stalingrad into the yeah. Stone Age and the Russians set up a defensive uh, a defensive positions within the rubble. Right. And then the other point is that what's the time frame for all of this? In other words, how long do you want to do this? What's the impact on the Israeli economy and on the Israeli population? It's over. Look, I, I'm a supporter of Israel. Israel is basically a great experiment that is over as of right now. The Israel experiment was tried and it failed. I know nobody wants to hear this. They want to keep saying, I'm Israel, hi, it'll come back. I don't know anyone on earth who would want to go to Israel right now for a vacation. I think they would choose Cancun or Puerto Rico above Israel right now for a nice beach on a lot. Let's start with that. So tourism, dead. Now let's take the high-tech industry run by 20 and 30-year-olds. They're all in the the, uh, uh, reserves fighting. So the tech industry is dead. 
I don't know how the shekel is even being supported right now. Well, actually, they have uh, <clears throat> withdrawn many of the reservists who are part of that high tech industry for the reasons that you just outlined, because that's their most productive sector and tried to put them back to work. But the problem is, if your solution to a disaster is to escalate, then that means that you stand an excellent chance of fighting on multiple fronts, which is what hap it's happening with Hezbollah. But, yes. you know, you know, we have to go back to the beginning because right after this happened, I did a podcast three days later of saying, how did Netanyahu let it happen? Because he's responsible as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the buck stops there. Mm -hmm. He was once a fabulous warrior, but that was 30 years ago or more. And he's living on the fumes of his brother's death and the raid on Entebbe. He's been living off the fumes of Entebbe ever since. Maybe Sean Hannity worships him. I do not. I think he should have resigned the next day, personally. I, I thought Netanyahu was responsible for this by letting it happen. How else could you explain it? The, the most advanced surveillance state in the world, Israel, which has cameras everywhere and satellites that can read a credit card from space, could not see them coming over the border days. And how could they not see this? Well, you're asking a question that none of us can answer without knowing a lot more about what actually happened on that day. I <clears throat> I agree with you. I saw the security that they'd set up when I was there in 2020, and I thought they had Gaza very, very well wired. Of course, the problem, they always knew that it was a powder keg, that it could erupt at any time. You can't put two, two million people into a strip right. who are dedicated to killing you. It would be different if, if their religious beliefs were oriented toward peace. But then again, they are not Minoans. They're not people of peace. They're people of hate, people of war. They've been trained from the cradle to kill, from the cradle to the grave. They hate Jews. So how could you expect them to take this beautiful piece of beachfront land, which could have become the new Lebanon, and expect them to turn it into a new Lebanon when they were going to turn it into a new hell hellscape, which is what they did? Well, that's that's true. And at the time that I was there, we were discussing it. And, you know, the question was, how do you turn this around? And nobody had an answer. Ah. The only answer that anybody had was, well, we've got to protect Israel. And therefore, we've developed this very sophisticated security system. And they knew who was talking to whom. They had monitored all the cell phones. They had ah. satellite imagery. I mean, they, listen, they, the, the people that are professional soldiers in the IDF, and that's just a fraction of the force at the top. Ah. They're extremely competent and very professional. So yeah, I've always had my doubts about what really happened on the 7th of October. The second thing is that. Wait, wait, wait. You mentioned, can, yeah. can you hold when you say your doubts, this goes in. Now we're in the realm of, of, of I'm sorry, Pearl Harbor, that FDR really had advanced warning that the Japanese were going to attack it. <clears throat> he let it happen because he wanted to marshal the Americans. Uh, in a war footing because people hated war after how many men were killed in World War One. They didn't want war. Same theory. I don't know. I can't I can't uh, apply that theory because I just don't know. You know, and, and again, you say I have friends in the IDF. Well, a lot of them are very mad at me because they think that I should support what they're doing. And my answer to them was, look, I admire, you know, the, the people that I know in the IDF. You know that I like you and care for you, but I see nothing good resulting for Israel from this operation. And I still don't. And well, I can they, well, let's say they made a mistake by overreacting. Let's take that yes. position. We're now playing again chess. OK, so you overreacted. How, how do you compensate for the overreaction at this? That, that, that's very hard. It's very difficult now because you cannot stand in front of the entire world and effectively characterize all of the people in the region that surrounds you as animals who are effectively undeserving of human life. You, you, and then designate yourself as a special category of human uh, being that has uh, eternal right to do whatever it wants because six million victims of the Second World War were the down payment on the state of Israel. I mean, let's face it, if you hadn't had those six million, I don't think Israel would exist. And the reason people like me, who are not Jews, overwhelmingly in the English-speaking world, and by the way, overwhelmingly Protestant, supported Israel is because we felt that they had to have their own country, finally, end of discussion. 
Now, nobody sat around and and thought, well, you know, how is this going to work? We left that to the people that, that founded Israel. So they made all the decisions, and we've been backing them. All of a sudden now, we're looking at something that is horrific that we as Americans don't feel comfortable supporting. And mm. this is not to say, you know, I've heard people say, well, look what you did to the American Indians. Well, I'm not here to dispute that. That's <laughs> absolutely true. We encountered Stone Age people, and the only way to move forward in most cases was to force our way in. I'm not saying it was right, but it was done. But at the same time, we did evolve in our feelings about these things, evolve in our understanding of these things. You know, that's like saying that the Germans, who are now unconditionally supporting the Israelis, have not evolved. Well, they actually have evolved, but they're on a permanent apology tour, even though there's practically nobody alive today that saw well, that happen. I think the Germans have evolved into something that's unrecognizable from their nat natural spirit. And I think that there is no Germany anymore. That's the well, real problem. You, you have a few Germans that agree with you, by the way. <laughs> right. And I'm speaking as a Jew, by the way. It's horrible to see what has been done to that country. And it began probably before, but Andrea Merkel was the first one to demasculate or emasculate that nation. Yes. And yeah. import and import at the time hundreds of thousands of Muslims. You put the two things together, you take your most strident, testosterone-ridden Germanic warriors, you tell them they're all Nazis, they're all, they're all garbage, they're all throwbacks, and then on top of it, you bring in a hyper-masculine society who hates you and hates your nation, hates your race, and rapes your women and laughs at you when you put them in jail, and what do you expect to happen? Yeah, well, that's the, the, the place where that is most acute at the moment is Sweden. You know, the situation in Sweden is beyond belief. It's the rape capital of the world. And, uh, well, you know, that that's another subject. I, I think the other issue that's involved here, and, and Netanyahu is an extraordinarily bright person. I can't comment on his military record. His brother, by the way, was a truly heroic and brilliant soldier. And anybody who's been in the IDF for any length of time will tell you that. The view of Netanyahu inside the IDF is somewhat mixed, but his brother stands in very, very high regard. Well, that's why I said he's running on the fumes of Entebbe. Yeah, but on the other hand, you know, Mr. Netanyahu is in a position unlike uh, the one that any other Israeli prime minister has ever had. He has absolute and unconditional support from Washington. You know, I tell people all the but time. But the people in Israel don't support him anymore. Yeah, but his, yeah, but even if you remove Netanyahu, the body, the majority of the Israeli population supports what's happening. They're absolutely behind it. So you take Netanyahu out, you may get someone who's who's uh, more appealing, but that's not the end of the war. People need to understand that. Mm. The Israeli population remains committed to this, and, and there's widespread support for it. What, and a I continuous war against, against Hamas, so-called? Against Hamas and anyone else in the region that threatens them. And the reason that uh, this has grown and metastasized as rapidly as it has is because they know they have absolute support from us. No one in the United States right now, no one in Washington, D.C. is going to stand up and say, look, we love you, we support you, but we're not going to support the scorched earth tactics. We're not going to let you self-immolate. We're not going to allow you to potentially commit suicide inside the region by making war on everybody. So if you don't stop, we'll end the support for you. No, nobody's feeling that way. Instead, you have a chorus in Washington that says, bomb Iran. Iran is evil incarnate. Well, it's two of the craziest things running through conservative circles right now is uh, nuke, nuke Tehran, number one, and then attack China. Oh, Stupid man. people are constantly banging the war drum against China, which is even more idiotic than attacking Iran, in my opinion. No, look, you, I agree with you, but it's arrogance and ignorance on steroids on Fantasy Island. Well, and it's 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 the, it's the it's sort of the Fox News host thing. It's easy to pound the drums and say, kill this one and blow that one up. And it sounds good to the idiots listening on the other side of the radio. But um most of these people, as you know, are not military people, nor am I. But at least I have the knowledge of of uh, death, warfare, destruction and suffering to understand that war kills. War doesn't heal. Well, I thought we had learned the lesson that you cannot kill your way out of anything. <laughs> very, very funny. 
You mean war? You mean wait, Colonel? You mean war is not peace? No, I mean I. You know, the other thing is this: the global war on terror actually made matters worse. If we're honest about it, and uh, I always thought that we did more to undermine Israeli security by what we were doing in Iraq and Syria in these places than almost anybody else. Uh, if you wanted to make the world hate Israel, well, go into Iraq and behave stupidly as we did. Occupy the place, emasculate the people, humiliate the people, Ugh. threaten everyone, kill kill as many as possible. All we did was create more enemies. So that's that's one dimension of this. The other is, if you look at the strikes, they're very instructive. Wait, wait, wait which? The, the Iranian strikes. The missile attacks. Yes, yeah. Against targets in? Iraq and Syria. They attacked ISIS, which is very interesting. Well, they all of the targets that they attacked, and and people are not covering this completely. You know, information is not easy to get, real information. You get a lot of nonsense. But everything that was attacked is connected one way or another to the Israelis. And the killing of Iranians in Syria, the assassination of the two leaders from Hamas and Hezbollah in Lebanon, and the... Uh, Iranians have said for a long time now, since 7 October, we will not tolerate this. We're go we're not going to do it. We're going to stop it, and we will respond. And everybody said, ah, well, talk is cheap. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. You left me in the dust with one thing. All of the targets that the Iranians have targeted with their cruise missiles, whether they be in Iraq or elsewhere, were in essence, in your opinion, factotums of, of the Israeli government somehow. Well, no, not somehow. The, the most important target of all was a Mossad agent and his family in, in Iraq. But what about ISIS? Why would they attack? Why would Iran, the Shiites, attack ISIS? Well, the Shiites in Iraq were helping us to destroy ISIS all through the uh, counterattacks that went on after 2012. This man, Soleimani, that we were doing our best to, to kill and ultimately succeed in assassinating. Soleimani orchestrated all of the Iranian-backed militias that we talk about in their response to ISIS. They were absolutely instrumental in crushing ISIS in Iraq. But wait, I'm again, I'm losing you here because ISIS was a devastating force in that region, destroying 11th century art raping nine-year-old Yazidi girls, etc. They were monsters. Uh, and it was Putin and Trump who united and basically neutralized them. Let's put it that way. Couldn't have done it without the Shiite Arabs who were organized, trained, and equipped by Iran to fight on, on the ground. On the ground. And they did. And they on took the losses. And just like Hezbollah, Hezbollah supported the Syrian government, Assad, because they are opposed to the Sunni Islamists. Where is Assad? I've been thinking about him. Is he still functioning? Oh, yeah, he, he's alive. How the hell does he survive all of this? Well, I think it's a combination of Russian support and his own internal security apparatus, which protects him. And now it appears that he and uh, Mr. Erdogan in Turkey have buried the hatchet because the Turks mm. have were also supportive of ISIS in the hopes that they would throw the Shiites under the bus in uh, Damascus and get complete control of Syria. Remember, the Turks, they really view northern Iraq and Syria as parts of their former Ottoman territory. Uh -huh. Oh, boy. But, so again, but, this is this Byzantine shifting well, yeah. of sands, changing yeah. of geographical boundaries, Transjordan becoming Jordan, things like that. Uh, it's almost like the the boundaries that were changed after World War One are shifting again. Well, uh, uh, some friends of mine and they came back about a week ago from traveling, and they're not Americans. One is an American citizen. Uh, most of these people are Armenian, and they have uh, good relations with key figures all over the region. So they were able to meet with what I would call the people just below the people at the top. In other words. Uh, instead of talking to uh, President uh, Trump, somebody walked in the office and talked to his national security advisor. So these people have been to Ankara, Istanbul. Uh, they were in in Iran. They were in Saudi Arabia, in Riyadh. They were in Cairo. All of these people are fluent in Arabic. Some are fluent in Turkish. So you're talking about practically native speakers. 
and they all have business interests and they have ties. They're people that they're related to who live in those areas. And they came back and they said everyone that they spoke to, Turk, Iranian, Arab, said the same thing. Sykes-Pico is over. Meaning? For your listeners, the Sykes-Pico Treaty between the British Empire and the French Empire was the agreement that effectively carved up the Middle East and turned it into what it is today and set the stage ultimately for Israel, for a Jewish Palestine. And they've said, that's over. We're not going to respect it anymore. Mm. There's no going back. Now, that also means that this war is not going to end whenever the Israelis decide they've killed enough Arabs. No, this that's, that's a, come on, Colonel, that's a pretty harsh statement. Yeah, I but don't, that's, I that's don't. what a lot of people in, in Washington believe. They don't understand that this has now become much, much more than just a showdown between the Israelis and their neighbor in Hamas. This is becoming regional, and this regional hatred is also directed at us. Well, look, what I'm worried about most is what's going on in the streets of America. As I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion today, where did these hundreds of thousands of Hamas supporters suddenly appear in America? Who is organizing them? How are they able to get away with such outright street violence without the United States government arresting the leadership? Well, first of all, you understand that the real enemy uh, inside the United States is, of course, white people and white supremacists. And okay, white I, well, right. I guess there's victim and, and then there, there's victims and victimizers. I get it. So that's the first thing. And you, you can't lose sight of that. Secondly, yeah. uh, I, I would not characterize all of those people as Hamas supporters. I would simply see them as uh, sympathizers with the Palestinian cause and very anti-Israeli. That doesn't necessarily mean they approve of everything Hamas did. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. You know, we're, George F. Kennan said that in 1965, we effectively breached the limits of, of assimilation that we could no longer assimilate people pouring into the United States. And I, not. and I think he was right. Yeah. And so now you have islands of foreign nationals living on American soil, correct? Well, look, it was Kennedy who said it will not change the demographics of America. His Immigration Reform Act of 1965, that's well established. Of course, he was lying then, uh, and we were paying the price for it right now. You know, I'm reading about something that would be near and dear to you as a PhD, not necessarily as a war man, a man of war, which is the ancient Roman empire. And I read that at a certain point in ancient Roman history, I have to find it in in one of my statements. So I, I get it exactly right because I've been quoting it over and over again recently on Twitter and where, where else, which is throughout the third century, the Roman Empire decaying socially and disintegrating morally, sound familiar, mm-hmm. faced the barbarians, and then the barbarians broke the empire in two. We know that our southern border is completely erased under Biden and his minions of insane people who hate America, particularly white America. And frankly, the barbarians are now invading through the southern border by the millions, millions, many of them of military age. Uh, aided and abetted, by the way, by the uh, Church of Rome, meaning ch- Catholic charities. I hate to say it, but I- unless you're blind, you don't see who's funding the, the, this invasion. It's Catholic charities, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Catholic Church. It's Protestant family services. It's Jewish family services. All of the fake religious front groups are making fortunes off this invasion. There's billions of dollars being given to them uh, from the federal government. So. Our empire is decaying socially and disintegrating morally, as was the Roman Empire in the third century. And now the barbarians are invading. How can this nation hold? So now let's move to Trump. Trump wins in Iowa. And I've I tweeted. uh, It's not the corn belt that determines the outcome of elections. It's the porn belt. I wasn't being facetious. Mm -hmm. And I was saying that Iowa is about as relevant today as it was. It's irrelevant today. We're not living in Abe Lincoln's time. We're not wearing top hats. This Iowa caucus thing is sort of something from the 1870s when white America in the Corn Belt sort of determined the outcome of an election. We know the Corn Belt determines the outcome of the election, meaning where all the immigrants have been 
jammed into the nations. Look what it did to California. Look what it's doing to New York. Look what it's done to Chicago, Denver, Los Angeles. And we understand that the demagogues in the Democrat Party have done this for, for many different reasons. So Trump wins by a landslide in the, in the caucus. Big deal. What did we expect to happen? It's not really big news. We knew it was going to happen. But let's go forward. Let's say Trump somehow defeats all of his enemies, which I don't I don't know how any man can handle this. He seems to thrive on hate. The more you hate him, the stronger he gets. The more you knock him down, the faster he bounces back. It looks to me like some of his prosecutors are going to wind up behind bars, not him, like Fannie Willis and her boyfriend. Uh, all the scandals surrounding most of these prosecutors put in place by the evil Dr. Soros. If Trump were elected, is there anything that he or any one person can actually do to stop the Ukraine war, uh, the Israel uh, war, the Houthi rebel war? Um, could anyone stop this now or is it sort of a train out of control? Well, the first part, the point that you're making by uh, implication is also the question of election integrity. <laughs> and, and in the porn belt, as you put it, there is <laughs> election integrity. <clears throat> so that calls into question whether this uh, this man can actually win or anybody other than the people sitting in in the swamp at this moment. Amen. So and I have a great deal of affection for Donald Trump. So what I'm going to say is is not criticism of him personally. You know that I, I I like the man, and I've always always liked the fact that he was authentic. He, he believed in something. He believed in this country. He is an American. He has great instincts. However, nobody can reach the pinnacle of power this year and change a whole hell of a lot quickly. The only way to do it is what Cromwell did, and Cromwell, who was the model, by the way, for George Washington ultimately dissolved parliament because it was corrupt. It was, it, you know, he called them whoremasters, you know, <laughs> criminals. <laughs> Sounds familiar. History is repeating itself, isn't it? And he, he shut it down and he governed England for five years. And during that five year period, and he, he gets a lot of uh, criticism in England from, for being dictatorial and authoritarian, but he transformed England into a great power. He built a model army. He funded the Navy. He, he restored civil order. Uh, he did a great deal that made England the modern state <laughs> ultimately becomes. Well, Mussolini made the trains run on time. We know that sometimes they can do good things. Yeah. But but the point is that, uh, you know, that's that's your only way quickly to do mm -hmm. very much. Because if you first anybody who's any good, anybody with any real integrity or competence is going to be rejected by the Senate. I mean, all he has to do is sit down. Who do I appoint to my cabinet? And most of the people that I think he'd like to appoint will never get there. Never get there. Remember Andrew Jackson? He was in a, in a battle uh, with uh, Congress and the Supreme Court ruled. I forget the issue. You would probably immediately recall it. And uh, Jackson said to the Supreme Court, now that you have found rule, which is astounding in his choice of words to the Supreme Court. Now that you have found comma rule, meaning go ahead, you have no power. You're just the Supreme Court. That's what Andrew Stonewall Jackson said to the Supreme Court. Now that you have found rule and I'm trying to tell people that I don't care who wins. They don't have the power to change very much right now. Well, Americans are going to have to find that out the hard way. Uh I mean, I look, the reason that I joined this organization, Our Country, Our Choice, is because it, it's striving to find a third way. What and is your tell us about that? Since well, well, we have a headquarters in Orlando. We're up to 100,000 members and we're growing without having spent any money on marketing, per se. We're growing about 1,500 new members every week. And the general attitude is twofold. First of all, it doesn't make any difference who we vote for. We get the same policies. So we're sick of it. We all know that, too. So secondly, we want an end to this nonsense. And we're tired of all of this divisive business. And we don't care about Democrat or Republican. We say there's got to be commonality of interest in key areas. Number one, stop all these overseas interventions. I mean, most of them will tell you, and we got a lot of veterans, bring the troops home. Get out. Halt. The meddling so, in people. So society. this is an America first organization. Well, it's more than that, because then they say, we want you to close the border. 
but we want to expel the illegals. We want a restoration of the rule of law. Meaning you want deportations. Yes. But how do I how do I join this organization? Well, you know, you go online, go to the website, uh, ourcountryourchoice.com, and uh, you go on there and fill it out. Uh, you know, we'll get you on the on the organization. Hell, we'll put you on the board. I mean, you, all you have to do is go down there and, and, and do it and tell me when you've done it. But the point is that people don't want the sexualization of children. They don't want the state, whether it's local or federal, telling them how their children should be educated with regard to sexual practices. And of course, you've seen all these sick, demented books that are out there. Uh, Stacy Lang Stacey Langton is somebody you should bring on and talk to. Uh, she's been fighting the good fight in Fairfax County, which is all, practically hopeless because it's a bastion of the left. But how she- did so many perverts take over the school boards and interfere with parental rights is what I want to know. All, all like under Joe Biden. But that's that's a topic for another time. Savage. Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. A savage republic inside the plot to destroy America lays out the threats we face, prepare you for what's next, and offer solutions to save our republic. Please wake up and fight back before it is too late. You can buy it right now on Amazon or on bondsandnoble.com. A savage republic inside the plot to destroy America by Michael Savage. Thank you for listening. Share it with five others. Uh, wait, let's go back to your new organ, the organization you joined. Are you on the board? No, I'm the CEO. It, is it I'm your organization? Executive. No, I, I joined it. I was invited to become the chief executive officer last year. And at that point, uh, we had maybe 15,000 members. And they said, uh, we need someone like you who can be a voice for all of these members who have no voice. So who's the head person who set this up? Well, it's a group of people who are investors and uh, they're they're right now struggling to keep this thing running. I mean, they, they're, they're adding funds to it as much as they can afford. These are not billionaires. You know, when today, if you're not a billionaire, well, you hardly uh, you don't awake, count. You don't count. You hardly awake any interest on the hill. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Uh, but these are these are people that have given their themselves given their wealth as much as they can in their time. And, you know, I think we're going to start asking people to to donate to us. We had a lot of people donating to us before Christmas. We never asked for it, but we're going to need some of that. But ultimately, we want to self fund. We, we don't uh, we're not a, a charity and we're trying to build an alternative media platform. Uh, the organization that we're part of is called uh, One Truth Media. And I think. Everybody wants fact-based information and analysis, but we want to focus on those big issues where there's commonality. Here's the problem. The Trump organization probably will oppose you because you're a competitor to, to their truth social and to their movement. In other well, words, Trump, Trump thinks he's a movement unto him, himself. That's no, the problem. Well, we, and by we, the way, I'm not a critic. See, here's the problem. You started by saying you support Trump, but what can one man do? I'll take it to another level because I lose the minute I don't worship Trump. I lose listeners. They get mad at me. Yeah, I don't worship any man. I worship God. That's mm-hmm. to start with. And to me, a nation, an election is more about the nation than any single man. And this is the problem I have with him and with everyone else running, which is where is the inspiration? I don't want to hear about you and your travails anymore. I want to hear about the nation only. Number one, I don't want to hear any more about how great you are. I don't know how great your battle is. I don't want to hear how you vanquished your enemies. I don't care. OK, it's not about you. It's about the nation, for God's sakes. That's what this is about. The nation is dying right now. It's, it's literally gagging for for its breath. So we don't have time for that, is what I would say. And I keep referring of all people to a JFK's great speech. I was a very young man. I was a new college graduate, a teacher. And his great speech asked not what your nation can do for you, but what you can do for your nation. It put steel in my spine. I had never heard anything like that in my life. And when I saw him standing on the beach, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to do something for my nation, whether it be a social worker or a teacher, in your case, a warrior. But people wanted to do something for their nation because that one speech, I have not heard one single line from any candidate that makes anyone want to do anything for the nation other than hurt somebody else. Well, I think RFK Jr. is an exception to that that uh, group. I think he does uh, 
essentially align with what you're saying. He's very interested in preserving this country and getting it through the terrible mess that we're in. I think he's the only other viable candidate for the office. I personally, I would have loved if the two two of them, he and Trump, had managed to forge some sort of alliance. But you know, that's the kind of thing that doesn't happen in politics, at least in this country. Uh, I do believe that Trump loves the country. Uh, I think he he's a patriot. I understand what you're saying. Uh, both of those men, they share a, a similar attribute. It's called authenticity. And authenticity is important. I don't see anybody on the other side of this equation, you know, the, the status quo Democratic Party or the rest of the Republicans is falling into any sort of authentic category. Ukrainian President Zelensky, if you want to call him that, I don't call him that. I call him Ukrainian comedian Zelensky, <laughs> is now at, at uh, Davos. In person, no longer by video conference, he's come out of his bunker and he's daring to show his face and he's putting on a puppet act for the rulers uh, at Davos. And he says a ceasefire he's against. It would only benefit Russia. Is Zelensky losing international support? Have they come to see that he could ignite the whole world? I think so. Uh, you know, I think you still have globalist elites in Berlin Warsaw, Paris, London. But once you get beyond those, uh, unfortunately, you, you now have them in uh, Stockholm and Oslo and uh, Helsinki. But once you get beyond those people, I think the the body of European citizens really are not interested in that that approach. They're not globalists. They see that globalism is, you know, this destructive pathway to global government uh, governance and totalitarian anti-democratic policies. So I think I think the population understands it. It's just a matter of time until they're gone. I mean, Schultz, I'm surprised he's still there. He He's completely out of touch with reality. And now, you know, this recent Polish government that got into power, they're, they're being ruled by Ann Applebaum. But Who I did, wait, I just was shocked by what happened in Poland, that after 50 years of fighting the Soviets, they elect a Soviet leader of, of Poland who immediately arrests opposition leaders who fought the Soviets. It's, how, it's, how in the world did that happen? Who is this character? Well, I think he's he's just another member of the Soros, uh, you know. Uh, but who is he? What's his name? Dominated elite. What's his name? The new leader of Poland. Uh, Donald Tusk. I know a person from Poland who said to me he doesn't even look Polish ethnically. <laughs> no, no. This is a native Polish person who said he doesn't even look like a Pole to them. Well, I you know that I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, he's a disaster and he's simply there as uh, Ursula uh, von der Leyen's personal, uh, you know, representative to the Polish people. The Poles will sort it out. They're not going to last, Dr. Savage. They, they won't. The Poles well, will sort it out. They arrest opposition leaders on the first week of, of, of winning power. They, it sounds like Trump, like what they're oh. doing to Trump. It was it, it was analogous. Well, right now, I guess the, uh, the the left in Washington, or maybe it's just the globalist cabal there, is talking about what they can do to prevent Trump from exercising any real authority or power if he's elected. Well, here we go to the last question. NBC News is reporting just today or yesterday that the establishment known as the deep state to us is plotting a military coup that includes legal action against Trump if reelected. What's that all about? Well, look at the people they've appointed to key positions in the defense apparatus and in the intelligence area, but especially defense. You know, these are they, they know something about the so-called organs of power. Remember, Lenin understood clearly in 1917, 18, that he had to get control of the organs of power. That's the military, the police and the intelligence apparatus. If he controlled that, he controlled the nation. These people are beginning to figure that out, and they've already stalked as many people at the top of the defense uh, apparatus as they can, who are fellow travelers, committed globalists, ideologues. Well, I took over the church first. I saw that 40 years ago when they started invading divinity schools. People don't remember that. I did. I mean, we have over across the bay there, UC Berkeley the, the School of Divinity once was the great, a really fine school. It was, I must say, uh, peopled or personed by creatures from the lagoon who started to pervert the whole meaning of the word religion or theology. There was no theology. It was all doxy, and it was left-wing doxy. 
injected into the schools of theology. And then they went after our children, first from the colleges all the way down to the kindergarten. Then they took over the school boards. So they they took over the universities. They took over the education level down to kindergarten. Then the military take a look. I don't have to tell you about military with the indoctrination. And they wonder why, quote unquote, there are so few white men or boys joining the military. And they give every excuse under the sun as to why. I mean, if you were a young white guy who was a tough kid who wanted to join the military to prove you're tough, would you want to answer to a transsexual staff sergeant? No, they're not stupid. They look at the constellation of leading figures in the Defense Department and they say, this this thing is headed nowhere. You know, you somebody somebody was angry with me the other day because I said, let's not get concerned, confused here. This this man, Austin, uh, Lloyd Austin, is not Colin Powell. No, this is not an articulate, intelligent and thoughtful person in <laughs> any way, shape or form. Glad you said well, it. Then, then how did he become a four star? I said, good Lord, man. Do I have to spell it out on the board for you? It's Can't all political. It's all political. Correct. Well, all it's, politi- a, it's affirmative action on steroids. Well, I call him. Lo- I don't call him Lloyd. I call him Lord Austin, as I said last time. Well, reminds, I mean, it, it's it reminds me whole- of Lord Jim. The whole thing is <laughs> the novel Lord Jim. That's what he reminds me of. I mean, he was a construct to begin with. <clears throat> well, again, this this points to something else. They they think they're going to have a coup against uh, Donald Trump. Okay, and they assume that no one will do anything if they try to do that. Assuming the man's even elected, and I still if, think that's an open question. Assuming he even lives to the election, let's go to that stage. Uh, you know, th- then you're going to see uh, unrest inside uh, the armed forces. It will not be a straight up affair by any stretch of the imagination. That could probably break whatever is left of it completely. If they tried to use the military oh, to yeah. go against Trump. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, th- th- these are all the stupid things that people talk about and don't understand. I, you know, I gave a speech uh, last year and I tried to tell people, you know, stop talking about civil war. You people that are talking about civil war don't know what you're talking about. And I said, there's a monument at West Point, at Trophy Point, to the Union dead, actually, from the regular army, the the soldiers and officers who died in the Civil War. There are over 2,000 names inscribed on that thing. Now, that's not to the the whole force. Remember, most of the people in the Civil War were just citizen soldiers. This was just to the regular army soldiers. And I said, if you go and see that monument, you begin to appreciate the destructiveness of the Civil War. And there used to be a joke at West Point that uh, it was really a monument to Confederate marksmanship because they were going to shoot all these people, you know, which is terrible, of course. But but the thing is, we don't understand it. All these all these monuments that are being removed, Lee's monuments in various places, Jackson, the rest of these people. And now, of course, they're not satisfied with that. They want to go after everybody, Abe Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. But when you look at these things, you don't understand that most of these monuments were erected in the aftermath of that war as part of the reconciliation I agree. between the people of the North and the people of the South. I agree. Which, which worked. Well, Did that's it? why they're doing it. They want to unwork it and turn people against each other, which they're doing. So we don't want we don't want a civil war. And I oh, I, I speak not. out against it all the time. Stop talking about that. We're, there's got to be a better way forward. But if the if this election turns out to be half as screwed up as the elections I've seen for years. Remember, I'm from Philadelphia. We haven't had a clean election in that city in 60 years. Since Rizzo died. Well, no. I'm joking. That's a joke. Come on. I'm going all the way back to 1960 when they said, oh, well, Kennedy won. And my my mother was the judge of elections. And we lived in a precinct in Philadelphia that was full, by the way, of people from Lithuania, Poland, and Ukraine. These people were all rabid anti-communists. Yes. They voted for Nixon. They didn't trust JFK. They no. said he's too soft on communism. <laughs> right. So it was something like 80% for Nixon in, in the precinct. Well, guess what happens? The results that were reported were the opposite. 90% <laughs> for JFK. And that was because of you know the relationship his uh, father had with the mafia and, uh, and the so-called Irish mafia that ran New York. Chicago, hush, hush. and Boston. Hush, hush. You're crossing the line now. Uh, well, whatever. I'm joking. Come on. And I'm and look, I and I'm not anti-Irish either. By the way, I'm not Irish, but I'm not anti-Irish. With a name like McGregor, you're Scottish in yes, heritage. Absolutely, yeah. 
So, you know, but the bottom line is we're not realistic anymore. So election integrity is a huge problem. And all this absentee ballot business, that's absurd. The French tried it and it failed miserably. Even the French were smart to outlaw it and get rid of it. So assuming anything good comes out of this, the notion that they would put the country at risk, it's fragile state as it is because our social cohesion is at an all time low uh, is unforgivable. That's the last thing that we need. But, you know, we don't live in a realistic world. And the people, as I said, in Washington, D.C., are all there on Fantasy Island. Yeah. Anything's possible on Fantasy Island, but the truth. Anything is possible, but the truth. It's funny you, you should conclude with that because I, I I treated this. I have to read the one line because people didn't, some of them didn't understand me when I tweeted this. I have to get it right. Sometimes I get an insight here. Truth has died all along the watchtower. I just put that up early in the morning, 5 a.m. I, sometimes I wake up and have a clear thought. The rest of the day, it's muddled. But <laughs> at dawn, I can think clearly. So I get these one-liners that come back to me, okay? Truth has died all along the watchtower. And I thought it was actually quite accurate, which is why I posted that. That's what you're saying, in essence. Where is the truth in anything? Well, that's that's one of the things that I think uh, inspired Tucker to develop his network. It's what's inspired us at OCOC to try and build an alternative, looking down the road at a third way, at a third party. We'll see how far we get. You know, it's not easy in the current environment, as you know. But I'm glad Tucker is what is doing what he's doing. So I don't think it's hopeless by any means. But it's tough. It's very mm -hmm. tough. No question about it. How do we join your organization? Uh, OurCountryOurChoice.com. You just write it that way. No spaces, uh, all words right next to each other. OurCountryOurChoice.com. There is There are instructional videos on how to join. Uh, right now, it costs nothing. That's going to change, I think, in the near future. Uh, and I would definitely join. And then you'll see focus areas. People are, are building these focus areas, joining groups with the hope that we can action something, we can actually make an impact. And yeah. we're trying to identify, by the way, political figures who align with our feelings, our, our views. And that's, uh, that's another, another problem. That I would say be very cautious of the fifth column and the agent provocateurs who are going to try and take control. Sure. And, and you'll get someone and they'll find out that in his past he uh, joined the, the, the Bund or his grandfather was a member of the Bund. You know that's coming. They're going to smear you the minute you have any any power, any influence whatsoever. They will smear your organization. They'll say that your grandfather ate uh, Charles Lindberger cheese or something. Well, everybody says my grandmother wore army boots, so there's nothing I can do. <laughs> Colonel McGregor, any final, final words? Yeah, don't give up the ship, you know, and uh, we have only begun to fight. <laughs> up, up until now, what have we done, doctor? We've rolled over for decades. Now, now we're finally waking up. People are paying attention. Not enough. More need to. People don't remember that in England. Who was the pacifist who came back and said, I, uh, I met with Herr Hitler and I have uh, an agreement in my hand. We have Neville Chamberlain. Yeah. Chamberlain. People don't even realize that his own party threw Chamberlain out because he was a threat to his own party. Yeah. His own party got rid of him. Well, the problem is our party structures are not genuine political constructs. They're channels for money. Yeah. <laughs> and there is nothing at, at the grassroots level, per se, anymore. It's really a national treasuries held by the Democrats and Republicans. And then they fight over how they're going to spend their money. And they decide the fate of the nation on the basis of their interests and the interests of donors. Biden has the largest war chest of any Democrat in history right now. Well, I always point out that when Lyndon Johnson uh, retired from uh, the presidency, he walked out with the equivalent of $100 million net worth. A pittance. Yeah. How did he get there? Uh, but in those days, it was actually something like 30 or $40 million. I'm talking about adjusted dollars. But, you know, how could a man who, who never did any serious work in his life, I mean, he was never in business. He was never in the military. What did he do? Oh, Biden? No, no, no. I'm talking about Lyndon Baines Johnson. Oh, okay. Got it. He's a professional politician who was FDR's, you know, sort of miracle child. He loved uh, LBJ. Well, LBJ was just hopelessly corrupt. 
and he comes out of office, you know, worth over a hundred million dollars. It's it's a disgrace. So this kind of nonsense has been going on for a while. It's just gotten worse. And today, people no longer pay attention to it. They're more interested in winning the football game than they are winning the fight for American national interest at home and abroad. Okay, we're going to close with your group again so people can join. Please give it out one more time, please. Ourcountryourchoice.com. It's all one word. And in, Eng- in English, the Scotsman means our country, our choice, not our. No. It's not A-R-E, it's our. Our country, our choice. <laughs> our country, our choice.com. Colonel, always a pleasure to have you in conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Michael Savage podcast. Thank you and God bless. Yeah, we sure need him, don't we? Absolutely. More than ever. Savage. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.